0: And grateful today that uh, uh, we know Him, uh, that we don't have to live a life of uncertainty. Uh, God is God. He will always be God. we sight uh, of that. So uh, this morning, uh, we're back in uh, Revelation 3. We're going to begin in verse 7. We'll read through verse 13. So you uh, find that there in your copy of the Word of God this morning. And uh, preaching on the subject this morning, uh, again, what time is it? Well, it's time to go. It's time to go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. And we see in this letter to the church at Philadelphia, uh, we see a church that did just that. Uh, So this morning, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Revelation 3, beginning there in verse 7. And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. And he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And thank you, Father, as we look into the Scripture, as we look into history, Lord, uh, this morning. Uh, God, thank you for all that you are doing, all that you are accomplishing. Help us to just be obedient and to stand. God, give us faith. Uh, God, give us perseverance, Uh, Lord, that we might be found faithful at your appearing. And God, may I preach faithfully today as a dying man to dying people. And we give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, as we've been going through this, uh, again, if we were to go back there um, to the beginning of Revelation there in chapter 1, Jesus begins to explain what some things are. Uh, He tells us who the messengers are, uh, you know, and He talks about this mystery there in verse 20, of chapter one he mentions the 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 stars and uh, all of this kind of stuff and exactly he talks about some of the meaning of those things and i've always said that part of that mystery as we get further and further away from these events is we have uh the 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 key of history of looking back and seeing these things uh come to fruition the church uh at at the time in which revelation was written the first century there uh, the, the church had no idea of how some of these things would happen. What would have seemed an impossibility to the first-century church, we're seeing these things happen in real time today. And as you go through the Book of Revelation, there are things that you know—even 50 years ago, uh, ago, we would have thought, "Man, how is this going to happen?" But we see these things playing out uh, in our world today. So, the farther we get away from these, uh, from the writing of Revelation. Through the eyes of history, the hindsight of history, we begin to see these things open up. And so, as I have said uh, to you on a number of occasions, that uh, the the book of Revelation here, in particular to the letters of these churches, not only are these specific churches to the, the land mass known as Turkey today, but it would be called Asia Minor at that time, but these are also... Uh, types of churches they represent types of churches and they represent also periods of church history uh, you know not everybody believes that You know, but I certainly believe that many people do believe that and I hope that as you look through this you can see this because it's very important that we grasp a couple of things in particular we need to grasp the reality that God is in control God is in control. And when we look at at things in our culture today and we say, well, I don't understand that or, you know, I wish this would have happened or that would have happened, those things do not change God. Okay? Those things may change us, but they do not change God. And God is in all of these things. God is not wasting things. God doesn't waste history. God doesn't even waste the foolishness of men. God is in control. And even in our present day today, God is working all, of thing, all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Many times we miss God's hand in everyday things because we're just simply not interested in living out God's will and His plan in our life. We want to do our thing. And if we want to do our thing, we're going to miss God's thing. We're going to miss what He's doing because we're too focused on us. We're too focused on our ambitions. We're too uh, focused on our expectations. Folks, God will wreck your expectations. He's made a history of it. He wrecks your expectations. God wants us to understand and come to the place where we can find satisfaction in Him and Him alone. So He'll wreck our expectations of life. He'll wreck our expectations of how events are supposed to go. He'll wreck our expectations of how our family's supposed to look, how our spouse is supposed to act. He does all of that so we come to the place where we can have our satisfaction and we can lay all of that at His feet and say, God, I am a a man, I am a woman in need of God. I, I need your help, I need your guidance. He wants us to come to that place. So God's in control. And we can see and understand that as we look at Revelation that God has a timetable in which things are happening. And I hope that you see that this morning. Because listen, I may be in a mess. Our country may be in a mess. But I find security in knowing what's going on. You know what I mean? I, I'm If I'm entering the last few weeks of life I want somebody to tell me that I I don't want somebody to say well I think things are going going pretty good you know you're liable to be running out of here in a few days realizing that you know if we you know realizing that it would take longer than that just to fill out the paperwork for you to leave the hospital for crying out loud I want to know the truth there is great satisfaction and, and there's, a, there, there's great peace in knowing the truth, whatever it may be, just knowing the truth. And I believe God in these letters to these churches are giving us not just a big picture view, but a, a realistic view of history so we can be looking for this reality that things are going to come to an end. Jesus keeps saying, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. Well... Look, quickly to you is different. Quickly to me is different. We have our own version, our own definition of that, right? To an eternal God, a few thousand years is quickly. A few millennia to God is quickly. just the blinking of an eye. God's working things out, and we see that in Scripture. And in, the, in this specific time period of history, uh, the church at Philadelphia represents this great revival and missionary work all over the world during this time period of history. All the great awakenings, the Welsh revivals, all of those things, the evangelizing of, of the world at that time, great missionary work done during that 200-year 200 period, 200 period of time. You, that's just a fact look at history I mean at the time in which these letters are being written this is a small little area of the world Turkey, small country seven churches and yet during this 200 year period the gospel would, would reach continents that were never reached by the gospel the, 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 the entire land mass you might say of Asia the entire uh, European continent, uh, places in Africa, India. I mean, literally, the gospel was, was going to the ends of the earth. That's what was happening during this time period of history. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things because it's important that we, that we see this so that we understand where we are today. Notice he says, he describes himself in verse 7. He says, these things says he who is holy and he who is true. Now we understand from the context of that, that's speaking of Jesus, right? He's holy, he's true, and notice what he says. He says not only that, but he says, and uh, he who has the key of David. Now, we understood and we understand from just basic Bible doctrine that you know when we talk about the throne of david the kingdom of david that is synonymous with the the kingdom of god that you know jesus was heir to the throne of david right and that is why there is coming a point in history where the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, Jesus Christ, once again will be on this earth, step on this earth with his foot, and he will be in a position of authority literally on this earth as from that throne of David as a descendant of the Lord Jesus. Uh, that, that is coming. So throughout Scripture this reference is being made. Now he says he has the key to David. Well... What does a key do? A key opens something up, right? And then he starts talking about doors, right? He says that when he takes the key, which gives you authority, by the way, right? If you have a key, you have authority. Because somebody trusts you enough to give you the key. So that you're going to use the key in a way, uh, you know... Uh, you're going to be honest, you're going to do what you're uh, required to do, but you're not going to use the key to uh, to, to rob them uh, and to misuse that authority. That's what a key represents, right? I mean, if, if, if you, you know, tell somebody where the hide key is around the house so when you're on vacation they're going to, uh, you know, put the mail in the house, feed the dog, whatever. You're, you're trusting them. That's why you tell them that, you know, walk five feet from the back door, take a right, walk ten more feet, take a left, look under the rock that looks a little funny and you'll find the hide key or something of that nature. Okay? Maybe, maybe yours is not that difficult. But anyway, you understand. And so there is part of this, he says, I am holy, I am true, and I have authority. And see, when God, when God is doing something, it's going to get done. When God is doing something, it's going to get done. That is why uh, we're not not in this world to say, God, I want to do this, so Lord, come on, let's go do it. No. We're to discern where God is at work, and then we're to join Him. That's the way it's supposed to work. So he says, I have a key. And he says that uh, what I open, nobody can shut it. You have a little strength there in verse 8. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. And because of that, uh, he says, I'm going to do some things and I'm going to reward you. So this this letter breaks down like all the other letters. There's the assessment of God. There's what's going on. What's the truth about this church? Then there is the the antidote or the solution uh, or, or in this case, instruction. And then there's that conclusion, that reward or the blessing. In other words, when God identifies what is truth and then he says, and this is what I need you to do if you'll do what he says to do, he says this is the reward that you're going to get. Now that's, that's that, that is a blueprint for success no matter what. Whether you're a church whether you're an individual God, you determine what's truth, not me. It, this ain't my truth, Lord what you know who cares what your truth is if it's not the truth it ain't the truth right uh so we we want to identify the truth we want to act on that truth so that then we can get the blessing or the reward of god we don't if we act on our truth willy-nilly do whatever we want to do and then here we are blaming god when we don't get the results that he's promised even though we haven't followed anything he's had That's that's where we are most of the time. Same blueprint in every church. God gives us an assessment, tells us what to do. If you do what I say do, you're going to reap this. There was a unique, though, exclusion to his assessment in Philadelphia, like Smyrna. He did not rebuke them. He did not criticize them. He had no rebuke for the church at Philadelphia. Why? Because they were fulfilling their purpose and the commission that God had given them as a church. Let me tell you something. God's not a big ogre up in the sky ready to pop you on the head. That's not God. God wants you as a Christian, as a born-again believer, Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be used for the glory of God and for your good as an individual. God has your best interest. Whatever He gives us, He has our best interest at heart. He's not the great killjoy. He is true joy that we get as we are fulfilling the will of God in our life. So the assessment is, this is a mission-minded church. They understand what the Great Commission is. And he tells them that, he says, I know your works and I've set an open door before you and nobody can share. What was that open door to? That was an open door of ministry to the world. Now, Now, I want you to understand this in context of what we have today. Now, our... Southern Baptist International Missions, listen, every year we are reaching millions of people. We're ministering to millions of people around the world. Uh, it's estimated that there are still billions of people that have not been reached by the gospel. Okay? But understand during this time period of history, the gospel came to the to the home, or the gospel came to the land. The gospel came to the continent. Okay? Un- understand that. To this day, we still want people to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ through international missions. We give millions of dollars every single year and we minister to millions of people all over the world in obedience to the great commission of God, okay? We do that. But I want to tell you that when we look in history, I mean, today we have the internet, we have satellite, we have airplanes, we have... All kinds of things that literally there's no place on earth today that cannot be touched, cannot be reached. They did not have that then. But yet there was an explosion of missionary activity all over the world. Why? Because God opened a door to that. God made rickety ships that were leaking when they left port. Make it to the other side. God made provisions not wear out. God set an open door into pagan places around the world and, and yet the gospel would find foothold in those places because God had set an open door before that church. And God was just paving the way. Great awakenings, all of these revivals. God was, had opened supernaturally a door to this. And he said to the church to be strong and to walk through that door. Folks, they are a number of things that happened during this period of time. God praised this church for what they were doing. And during this 200-year time period, the gospel was in India. The gospel was in China. The gospel was in the the areas of Indonesia today that are primarily uh, Buddhist or even uh, you know uh, some Hindu, some Muslim influence. But at the time, Christianity was pushing this paganism out. It happened in China. It was happening all over the world, and it was smack dab in the middle of this two hundred year period of time, roughly from seventeen hundred to nineteen hundred. That, that during this age of history, this, this, this uh, age of missionary activity that, the, that, that is represented by this church, Philadelphia, which means brotherly love, uh, it, it is just not coincidence that in the midst of that period of time, that in 1776 we officially became a nation out of the city of Philadelphia for crying out loud that wrote a constitution that was based in Judeo-Christian values. How can we miss that? I mean, if it wasn't so obvious, God said, I'll just give it to you again. Why did the pilgrims come to America? Because they loved God. And they planted a church. And out of that came a nation. Was it perfect? There are no perfect people. But I am telling you, during this period of time, God is doing an amazing amount of evangelism and missionary work all over the world. Consider this just in America for a minute. That during this time period, seminaries were being founded in in the colonies, okay? Seminaries. Seminaries like Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, yeah. Yeah. Those colleges were founded for the purpose of educating ministers to take the Great Commission around the world. That is why there's a Harvard today. That is why there is a Yale today. Why we have Ivy League schools as we call them today. That was their genesis was to equip preachers to share the gospel. Look where we are today. Why, why Why? is Harvard the way it... Basically, it's a seminary for the, for the for sage of the age today. Why? Because we're not in that time period of history anymore. See, God said, I opened a door. And He said, I also shut that door. And He said, well, why did He do that? Because He's God and I'm not. That's why. My job is not to figure out God. My God is to deliver that which God has told us we can trust and believe. During this time period of history, it was the church that determined the culture. It was the church that was building culture. What we call today as Western civilization is Christendom. And what was it doing? It was driving out the paganism. It was pushing out the darkness and it was planning what we call Western civilization. That's what happened in America. And that's what was happening around the world. And, and, I, and I, I specify that, that it was the church that was shaping the culture. See, we're not, we're not in that period of time of history today. The church is supposed to be shaping the culture, but the culture is shaping the church today. That's, it's been flipped. Why is that? Because we're not in the Philadelphia church age. We're in the Laodicean church age. Listen to this. Jonathan Edwards, who, if, if you've heard of Jonathan Edwards, then you've probably heard of a sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Jonathan Edwards is not some charismatic great orator. He's just a man God had opened a door to. That no man could shut. And here's a man that would stand in a pulpit and he would he would read this sermon that God had given him. Monotone kind of voice, I'm told. And yet, before he could get through with it, sinners were weeping in the aisles. Because he his message was simple. There's a good, gracious God. And the only thing that is separating you from the fires of an eternal hell is that grace. And when, and when you deny it and you refuse it and you push away and you step over the outstretched arms of Jesus, you'll perish forever. But you don't have to. And Jonathan Edwards was known as America's greatest thinker. During this time, we had... West, the Wesleys, and we had uh, Whitfield and Spurgeon uh, and Muller, and all of these uh, uh, great people. uh, You know Hudson Taylor and all of these folks that that took the gospel on the on the end of this age. Uh, You know Lottie Moon, what we talk about this time of year, her work in China, and why today we have an international mission board, large in part to her work today. Jonathan Edwards was known as America's greatest thinker. And his wife and him, uh, Sarah, uh, their their progeny, their heritage as people through their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, they impacted and made the culture. Listen to this. This is one family. One family that woke up every day to say, I'm here as a pilgrim, On a pilgrimage, and I'm here to glorify and honor God. And I'm going to live for the glory of God. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Jonathan and Sarah Edwards woke up every day with that understanding. And they were imperfect people just like us. But they had a goal. They had a mission. They were Uh, A mission minded family On mission for God And out of their progeny Listen to how just this one family Affected the culture Built the culture of that time period Out of their progeny Thirteen were college presidents Sixty-five of them were professors at universities. A hundred were lawyers and a dean of an outstanding law school. Thirty were judges. Sixty-six were doctors and a dean of a medical school. Eighty held public office. Three were U.S. senators. Three were mayors in large cities. Three were governors of states. A vice president and the comptroller of the U.S. treasury. One family. One family. God had opened a field, uh, God had opened a mission field to them. He had opened up a door to this church, this time period of history. And we saw over those 200 years a number of things happen. Revival swept in through England, revival swept into the United States. Things like the Great Awakening is a term today and the Second Great Awakening and the Welsh Revivals and these things were all a result of this time period of history. William Wilberforce, I mean, his convictions of, of the, out of this time period is what abolished slavery, ultimately ended it because of the conviction of one man. Brotherly loved, believed that we were all created in the image of God. And so we see that God had set this door before them. And it was interesting that, that to the church in Philadelphia on that day they kind of understood the terminology because, see, God speaks to us in a language in which we can understand. And the context to the church of Philadelphia that got that letter that day, they were in kind of a unique situation there geographically because here they are where really if you were going to make your way to the coast, you pretty much had to come through Philadelphia. It was kind of the gateway... Uh, to the the inner workings there of what was going on in that region of the world. So to them when he said there's an open door before you, they kind of understood, yeah, because I mean if you want to get to the Mediterranean Sea and you want to get to these other cities, the major road, it runs through Philadelphia. They kind of understood that. And so he was speaking to them in a way that they can understand. And then you and I see this as when God is involved in something, folks... The devil's not going to shut it down. God's called us. I mean, He saved us. He's equipped us. And God desires to use us. But I want to tell you, if you want to take your gifts and use them for your own self and you don't want to glorify God with your time, talent, and treasure, you know what? God will just use somebody else. I mean, you know, we, we take up offering at liberty one time a week on a Sunday morning. We, we we don't on Sunday night because what we we just we just teach people that you know as a believer we're we're to give, right? So people that believe that and understand that concept, they're going to give. They'll they'll find a way to give. I I don't have to go uh, send something in the mail to their house that say, you know, you pledged this much this year and you're running a little short. I don't have to do that because, you know, God's going to do that. I don't I don't have to do that. Never, never been one, uh, the nearly 15 years I've been here, I can count on one hand, missing a few fingers, the times I have preached about tithing. Because I'm just telling you, if God gets a hold of you, you'll just do what God wants you to do. I, I won't have to beg you. And out of that one offering that we take up on a Sunday morning, you, you would not believe the impact. That, that that has on your community, in your state, in this country, and all over the world. From just you being faithful. That's what we're supposed to do. And here we are in this time period of history. God had opened this door up and said, I've opened the door and nobody can shut that door. Now that's not to say that as a mission-minded church, And if you know what the will of God is in your life, that's not to say you're not going to have opposition. Because during this same period of time, there were also the disciples of the devil at work too. There was the synagogue of Satan. And they were were sowing their seeds of mistruth, of lies. During this period of time, Darwinism rose the progressiveness, uh, you know, of, of Dewey and uh, Ingersoll and, and uh, some of these other philosophies. Um, all of this was going on at this time too. Uh, 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 Sigmund Freud, all this stuff. The, the, the way we look at psychology today is largely, listen, the way we look at psychology today is largely the influence of a lost man. And then we look around and we say, man, despite all of the the focus on mental illness, we just keep having mental illness. Why? Why? Because we turn, for the most part, we turn that area over to pagans. And then we're, we're, I just don't understand. We got all this money we're throwing. this You know, I just don't understand. Because we're not looking at it in the right context. No, he raised up his cults, he raised up his philosophies Mormonism, the Jehovah's false witnesses and all that kind of stuff, that all came about the same time period of history Seventh Day Adventists all that stuff, to derail the church, to to bring us into the bondage of, of cults just like the Judaizers did, that was all prevalent during that same period of time too because we are at war there are two kingdoms at war and even our nation today, we are at war. There is a worldview, and there is a worldview that is at war. And when we look at our culture today, it's it's pretty easy to see that the folks that do not share our worldview do not want to also share a country with us. So the Lord, he says what's happening. I've opened the door to you. Nobody's going to shut it. And he mentions in verse 10 that there's, There's there's going to be a need for perseverance. And God says, when you are busy about doing what I've called you to do, He says, "I'm I'm going to tell you what the reward is. Notice there in verse 10, He says, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. What is He talking about? He's talking about the rapture. He says, I'm going to keep you from that. See, the, the tribulation is not for the church. The tribulation is for the synagogue of Satan. The tribulation is for those who have rejected the church, who have despised the church. You don't want the church. And as I've said before, they're going to get what they want. And they're going to be ha- unhappy with it the, the second after it happens. He mentions there's a crown for you. You overcome. He mentions you're a pillar in the temple. What's a pillar? A pillar is that which holds up support. He says, "I'll make you stand. You'll be in my heaven. You know, uh, my my name on you. I mean, this is talking about our reward to persevere and to be faithful. See, folks, this 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 world, this life here, this is not this is not the prize. Okay, and I, I mean, we you know, look. I could write you a script for how I wish things went in life. Okay? But I, but I don't get to determine that in, in large part. Okay? The, 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 the fact of the matter is there is there, he talks about overcoming because there will be a need to overcome. He talks about perseverance because there will need to be a need to persevere. And folks, you've you got to understand this window closed, the door shut. And when we entered, by large part, the 20th century, this whole New Age idea of progressivism and all this stuff, this began to populate our world. Understand that when World War II broke out, China was still a free nation. Today, today if you're in the church, you're meeting underground. You're hiding out. It's against the law. Places like India today are becoming more and more hostile to the church. Indonesia, Burma, places like that, hostile to the church. Where these churches were, hostile to the church. Why? Because that period of time ended. And we could sit here and we could deduce logically today a couple of things from that. God planted the gospel in these nations, including our own. And if it's to stick around, you know what's got to happen? A garden's got to be cultivated, folks. It's got to be nurtured. I mean, Christianity, folks, is always, always has been, always will be one generation from extinction. The seeds that are sown, and when they come up, they have to be nurtured, they have to be watered, people have to be discipled. Or it'll go away. God said, I set a door before you. Nobody can close that but me. He did. And that's why today we're where we are. And we can look around and we can say, well, I wish it was like this or I wish it was like that. And I'm not to say that there won't be pockets of revival and they're not, uh, you know, things of nature that are good I'm not saying that but I'm, I'm saying that from, from scripture I do not find and I'm not saying this to be your killjoy again I'm here delivering the mail that's what I'm doing delivering the message I'm, I'm here to tell you that I do not see in scripture this period of time touching the ends of the earth again like it did during this 200 year time period I just don't see it. I don't see that happening what I see is occupy until his return what I see is small pockets of revival here or there small pockets of revival here or there you know why because it's up to the individual folks it's up to us if we have the gospel and we believe the gospel and we love the Word of God then we ought to be the first people who give it to our children and when they grow up and they know the gospel and they love the gospel and they believe in the power of God, then they're the ones to give it to their children. That's the way it works. The church can never take the place of the parent. It'll never do that. And by and large part, if you hear the cry of, of, of Americans today, what, what do we want? We want a bunch of lost folks 1,000 miles away to legislate a type of morality that everybody's going to accept down at the local level. And, buddy, if you believe that's going to happen, i got some good bottom land I want to sell you as prime real estate. It ain't going to happen like that. Never happened like that. The problem up there is because there's a problem down here. And, and if we want to see pockets of revival, it's going to happen where we take the responsibility around here. We sweep around our own house. We take care of our own family. And then we'll just worry about what God does with that. We'll leave that up to God. I'm encouraged because this, the Lord that's in this book is eternal in nature. He's never lost and He never will. And whatever history looks like, uh, I, I don't necessarily determine that. But here's what you and I can do. God said if you'll, if you'll believe the truth and you'll act on the truth, here's the reward. We can all do this today. We can choose to believe it and to act on it. We can do, we can do that. You can do that. I can choose to do that. I can choose to take the Great Commission at face value and do my part to take it to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth also encapsulates my children and the people that live across the street from me. God is expecting us to do that. And we can act on that principle today. My prayer is that we will. Because for the sake of our children and our grandchildren, we're going to have to. What time is it? It's time to go and make disciples all over the world, across the street, in our own home. Let's pray this morning.